Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters Podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, thank you for joining us on the show. I'm W.J. Sheehan, the author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. All of the books in the series can be found on our webpage, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Just click on the store link and it will take you where you want to go. Now, if you've seen something, we encourage you to say something. So click on our contact link and say hello or report what you have seen or experienced in regards to the Bigfoot monster. We would love to hear from you. And by the way, your purchase of any book in any form helps us to keep the ball rolling. So please do buy one and show some support for what, what it is we are doing. And now, we have a great show lined up here today. And to start things off, here's my brother Kevin. How are you, Kev? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Very good. Boy, I'm really cranked up for this uh, episode today. And uh, I know you got something good waiting in the wings, as do I. (laughs) Yeah, we got a nice crisp fall day here. So we're going to go up to one of my favorite fall states, the Green Mountain State of Vermont. Fantastic. And being in Vermont... Uh, I'm sure you've got something else in mind for today besides some maple syrup. (laughs) (laughs) There won't be any maple syrup. Maybe a little bit of leaf peeping, though. (laughs) Unbelievable. So what have you dug up in your cryptids in the news and history report this week? Yeah, so we're going to talk about two Bigfoot sightings in the Green Mountain State. Um, And the sightings originate with two different individuals that coincidentally both describe themselves as Bigfoot and Sasquatch researchers. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's people out there. Uh, doing their due diligence to uh, stay hot on the trail of the hairy man. And uh, I'm grateful there's guys and gals out there doing it, you know? No, I'm with you. I'm with you. So the first sighting um, we talk about comes from Frank. Uh, Frank, I apologize in advance. I'm going to mispronounce your name, but it's Sayekiensky. Sayekiensky. But from now on, I'm going to call him Frank. (laughs) Okay, that's a mouthful, man. Yeah, and his <laughs> his his account comes from about nine years ago, in uh, September 2010, and uh, Frank said that he caught a glimpse uh, and an image of a Bigfoot on a trail camera that was stationed on part of his property in a part of Vermont called Habarton. And uh, he has a cool image on the Internet, and I'll put the image up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under this episode. Um, But it's a pretty cool image, and I'm going to describe it to you all and do my best to uh, give you a visual image until you get to see the actual picture. But first, we'll start with uh, Habarton, the town of Habarton, where Frank owned his property and caught this image. It's in central Vermont. 
uh, just west of the Killington Ski Resort, which mm. uh, I don't know if you've ever been up there, Bill, to Killington way back when. I, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been up to Killington, but I've been up there camping. Okay. And uh, my recollection is poor. I'm not even sure where we were. Okay. Well, Killington, I went skiing up there years ago, and it's one of the coldest places I've ever been skiing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's chilly. It can be chilly up there. So the evidence Frank posted was a pretty cool image. Again, it came from a trail camera, which, by the way, Bill, we should be seeing a lot more evidence over time with, with the advent of all these trail cameras out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. And uh, the photograph isn't super conclusive. And I don't know. Does this ring a bell with you, Bill? Did you ever see this picture or can you recall seeing it? I have not. Okay. So I'll describe it. uh, Let me jump on you for a second. You know, you talked about Killington being very cold. Uh, I have a co-worker who's like a real avid skier. Yeah. And he goes up someplace in northern Vermont called Mad River. Oh, Have yeah, you ever Mad heard River of that? Glen. I've skied yeah, there, too. Oh, my God. I mean, apparently Mad River is like, am I correct in saying like you have to be like a member or something? It didn't used to be that way, but I wouldn't be surprised today if it was. Yeah, he made it sound like there's very few people there, but it's really like crazy deep skiing and like everything that, you know, uh, a fanatical uh, uh, skier would want and then some, you know. Yeah, I haven't been up there skiing in about 20 years. And uh, wow. but back then you could uh, ski, uh, do glade skiing, you know, so ski among the trees, which typically you only got to do out west. Right. Uh, and West, that's ex- that's US. exactly what Paul does there. He's yeah. into that going in and out of the trees. Exactly. Uh, no real cut trails. Exactly. And by the way, perfect place to get in touch with a Bigfoot, I'm sure. Exactly. So let me tell you about this trail cam image. And again, I'll put okay. it up on the website when we post this uh, podcast. But picture in your mind uh, a Bigfoot and you're looking at him from what appears to be the left, his left side. And he's kind of bent down, uh, still on his feet, but with his chest against his knees And again, you're looking at him from the side, almost like he's picking something up off of the ground or looking at something on the ground. Wow. Yeah. And it's black and white, like trail cam footage. Um, But, you know, if you look at it carefully, it looks like you can see like his side profile and his face. Um, You can definitely see the head and it is almost like it has no neck and uh, really big, like bulbous shoulders. Wow. Like we often hear described. Now, you're looking at it, Kev. I haven't seen yeah, this I'm yet. I can't, I can't right wait. Now. Yeah, it's cool. But, I'll, uh, I'll post it and uh, wh- everybody can see What's your opinion it. of what you're seeing? You know, I wish it was like uh, a Bigfoot standing on its feet looking straight at you so you could see all the detail. But, of course, even if it was that, the skeptics would say that. You know, it wasn't standing like a Bigfoot should stand, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's cool. I mean, I'm interested in what you think of it and what our listeners think of it, too, when uh, when they see it. So, yeah. And then it has, like, some of these, like, you know, it's black and white, so you can't tell what color it is. But imagine, like, white spots. It looks like, well, one, two, three, four, five, six of them on the side of its upper back. And I don't know if it's, like... It's got a little bit of the mange, or maybe there's something stuck to its fur, 
or maybe it's something else, you know. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You know, uh, again, I'm not the one that subscribes to men running around in the woods in, in costumes. Well, yeah, uh, and especially running by trail cameras, kind of odd. Yeah, and, you know, why, why go there? I mean, yeah. just why go there? Why does everything have to be some Fruit Loop running around in the woods or some fraud or, or, or something else? Why can't it just be that the guy caught an image of a Bigfoot just like he could have caught an image of a deer or a fox or a coyote or whatever? Yep. Exactly. So yep, yep. Yep. Wow, that's that's crazy, man. Yeah, so it's good stuff. So, um, And the image uh, shows up on, uh, it's called Sawyer Loftus Free Press. So we can cite them for this uh, for this image. Looks like you can buy the image, too, on the Internet. Uh, so that's that account. Took place in September 2010. And then the next account appeared within the last two months. And the account was written about in the bar Montpellier uh, Times Argus newspaper. So from, uh, I guess, bar Montpellier, Vermont. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. And uh, there's a there's a picture on this one, too, of the, uh, the, the witness of the account. His name is Chris Knoll. And Chris apparently is, you know, again, a pretty pretty strong Bigfoot researcher, um, and he's holding in the picture a plaster cast of a footprint that uh, he believes was made by a Bigfoot, and in his in the image he shows, and in the article I'll talk about here, he also uh, claims to have found some structures, uh, you know, wood, wood uh, log structures uh, in the woods that he believes have been made by Bigfoot. Wow. These are in the same area, Kev, or, or pretty far apart from each other? Yeah, so he's a little further north, um, up near uh, Stowe, Vermont. And um, it's uh, up near, uh, uh, well, south of Smuggler's Notch. But a okay. uh, really, cool, uh, really cool place. So he, he saw it in Montpellier. And, um, you know, I don't know, Bill, if you rack your, brem rack your memory... Uh, that's the capital of Vermont, and um, it's also interesting. I do a lot of crossword puzzles. It's always a, a very hard clue to remember uh, <laughs> in crossword <laughs> puzzles. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. a famous French city in Vermont, and you're like, oh, I don't know, but it's always Montpellier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd have to pass in that clue, bro, yeah. because I don't have a clue. <laughs> so you, if you remember when we used to go up to New Hampshire when we were kids, we would go to Franconia Notch. Yes. And uh, uh, Pelti M Montpellier is west of Franconia Notch, but about the same height in a northerly direction as Franconia Notch. So in a pretty rural part of Vermont, for sure. Yeah, and that uh, that whole area up there, I mean, you remember going to New Hampshire, you'd be in some of these areas that were like a little touristy, uh, people around, things for people to go and do. But as soon as you drove a little bit outside of them, I mean, you were like immediately in the thick of it. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, we, we went up last year. I, I I don't know if you remember, I was telling you about it. I sent you a couple of pictures. But we went up looking at the leaves in October. 
and in Stowe, Vermont, which is a really small town, but kind of a picturesque New England town. Yeah. And uh, went up there, and then uh, we went to a super cool Oktoberfest there, which, by the way, they had a pumpkin chucking contest at the same uh-huh. time, which was awesome. Uh-huh. These big trebuchets and catapults chucking pumpkins 5,000 feet. Can't miss that. <laughs> Be good to throw them out of Bigfoot, maybe, you know. <laughs> and then we also went hiking up in uh, Smuggler's Notch up there, and that was pretty darn rural, hiking around up there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, nothing up there. No. And which, which goes to prove my point again, the nine and a half million square miles in North America how many of them actually have somebody's feet walking around in them? No, exactly. Exactly. You know. So, and this one, uh, this article was written by Stephen Mills, a staff writer on the bar Montpellier Times Argus newspaper. And, you know, this image, let me tell you a little bit about the structure. So the structure is made out of kind of dead logs, about four inches uh, in diameter, I would say. But very importantly, the structure is nothing like that amazing structure that was shown in the Marble Mountain siding in Northern California that we went through by Jim Mills and that yeah. youth group. Remember, it was like fresh trees that were bent over and broken, like six inches in diameter, all kind of woven together with uh, branches. This looks. Yeah. This image looks like maybe it was an old nest. Or maybe it wasn't even, a, honestly, to me, maybe it wasn't even a Bigfoot shelter. So, okay. But let's talk about the guy because he is, uh, I mean, he, he's got a lot of uh, credibility. So, you know, this this guy, Christopher Knoll, that lives up there, um, he has uh, uh, record, he's seen these stick shelters all around this area. And then he's also recorded and published audio recordings that are, you know, extremely strange, very, very loud, like he describes it as being able to feel the sound in your chest in the middle of the night. You know, so we've heard about that before with some uh, some other sightings. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one woman uh, uh, said it sounded like a sound weapon. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You know, a weapon. Exactly. Like, wh- how the heck do you come up with that description? It sounded like a weapon. Yep. Yep. But uh, and this guy, Christopher Knoll, I mean, he, he his his background gives him some credibility. So he's a Yale University philosophy graduate. So he went to Yale. So you know, he's not a dummy uh, by any means. And he previously taught at the Vermont College of Fine Arts. And apparently he's written uh, books and uh, published writings about Bigfoot, um, including one that helps identify uh, Sasquatch stick structures. So we're going to have to start to look for some of these. And then these days, he also leads what's called Wild Vermont Expeditions with targeted trips in Vermont for people interested in immersing themselves in folklore and legend, which I guess hey, Kev, Bigfoot let's, is part let's of Let's give, as we're talking about Chris here, let's give him a little plug. Sure. How, how, how do you spell his uh, name so people can look for his books? Yeah, so it's like Noel, like uh, Christmas, N-O-E-L. Oh, okay. Christopher, yeah. Christopher Noel or Noel. Oh, Noel, maybe it's Noel. I was pronouncing it Noel, but maybe it's Noel. 
Yeah, I mean, we got to support people who are supporting the cause here. So Absolutely. people, go out there. Check out his uh, writings. And, hey, if you're up in Vermont, go do one of these wild Vermont expeditions. Maybe I'll check it out next time I'm up there. Absolutely. Um, but I'm definitely going to check out the pumpkin chucking again because that was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, I, I can't resist like a 2,000-pound trebuchet. You know, I mean, it's just it's pretty awesome. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so so Christopher says in this article, and I'll quote him, he says, I've been researching these spe this species quietly and privately for a number of years. Now I've decided to come out and reach out to others who may have information to share with me and learn what I have found out. So we can begin to fill in the picture of the habits, the roots, and the behavior of our local population up in Montpellier, Vermont. Wow. So I think, you know, that's pretty good, Bill. It's just like we always say. If you see something, say something. And we're interested in hearing it, too, uh, at our website. And then also, you know, reach out to Christopher and let him know, especially if you know something uh, about the Bigfoot in the local uh, population in Montpellier, Vermont. Yeah. And, you know, that's exactly what what uh, one of our listeners, uh, Nate Bowling, down in Alabama is doing. He's a f Bigfoot friend of mine. I've talked to him a few times. Uh, he's assembling uh, like a library, uh, a place where data can be shared uh, and exchanged about sightings. Uh, castings, findings, audio, whatever you've got, uh, they're looking to create a place where people can go and exchange uh, ideas and also uh, findings with each other. Yep, yep. So it's kind of cool. It is cool. And, and Christopher goes on. This is pretty interesting, and it shows, you know— um, this is a smart guy. So he says that uh, he's unfazed by questions about the veracity of previous reported sightings recorded on video that were discounted uh, by anthropologists who declared the creatures were humans disguised as Bigfoot and revealed by their human gait and movement, calling the whole genre into question. So he, he puts in quotes here in the article, it's hard to boil it down, but the best evidence we have so far, even though it's 51 years old, is the Patterson-Gimlin film shot in Northern California. Um, and he says that it's possibly the second most viewed film footage after the footage of JFK's assassination in Dallas in 1963. And, of wow. course, we're super familiar with uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film. But it's interesting. He says here that the consensus, referring to the Patterson-Gimlin film, is that outside of the circle of pure cynics, um, so outside of that, by people who have analyzed the footage with an open mind, is that the limb proportions and the gait are clearly not human. And then he goes on and says, by all rights, the existence of the species should have been confirmed by that footage alone. Yeah. You know, let alone the thousands of people that have seen things since then. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I've looked at that that footage many times, and I'm telling you, as somebody who studied kinesiology and myology and uh, A&P, and, uh, I look at that thing, and on cue, the muscles move attached to the skin 
in the way that they should be moving for uh, a creature built such as that uh, walking, turning, arm swing. You could physically see the attached muscles with the skin and the fur or hair, whatever you want to call it, moving proportionately with each movement that the creature makes. Yep. There's, there's no doubt about it. You can see the flexion, the extension. Everything is happening on time, and that doesn't happen with a costume. No, I agree. Yeah, he goes on and he says, I think anyone who spends even two hours looking into the matter with skepticism, but with an open mind, will come away thinking differently. Either the species exists or the tens of thousands of reports that have been filed over the decades by people, witnesses, many whom don't want to use their names for fear of ridicule, all have to be incorrect. Hmm. So pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So then he goes on and he talks about um, some of the most recent things that he's heard. So I'm going to walk you through there. So he said he's returning from a visit to a man in uh, uh, Worcester on Wednesday who said that he heard strange calls in the woods and had recorded the sounds. And Christopher says he has screams in the middle of the night coming from the mountain that rattled the walls in his house. And he's been a hunter and guide for 40 years and knows all, all of the ordinary sounds of the forest. So this, this guy who heard this has some pretty good credibility, right? Yeah. He's yeah. not city folk, as we would say. Right. And he never heard anything remotely like it. And and when when he first heard it, and now he has heard it a number of times, he mm. said the volume is just on a completely different level in the sense that it rattles windows and walls. And you wow. can feel it in your chest, even though you know it's no closer than 100 yards away. Wow. Pretty cool. I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, not not me, but. Others are saying, ah, the guy's full of beans. No, he's not full of beans. He knows exactly what he's hearing and not hearing, and he's sharing that with you. So just listen and learn something from the guy. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Christopher gives us a... uh, an email to uh, to go out and uh, contact him, which is Montpellier Sasquatch at gmail.com. And then he has uh, some of his videos up on YouTube. I'm sure you can just search on those, Christopher Noel. And then he has a website that's called thebigfootportal.com uh, mm-hmm. backslash Christopher dash Noel. Awesome. Pretty cool. So a uh, couple, of, couple of good encounters up in very rural Vermont. Uh, and no doubt, you know, me hiking around in the woods up there many times, pretty rural place. If there's uh, some hairy men out there, I'm sure they're hanging out in northern Vermont. There's no doubt about it. And uh, so there you have it. You know, when uh, listeners write in or people say, well, where can I see a Bigfoot? There's another place where you could see one if you were out there looking and doing your due diligence, Vermont. There you go. I mean, we're going coast to coast, north, south, east, west, Canada. You know, there are people running into these creatures in numerous, numerous locations. Uh, And again, here you have Chris doing his due diligence. You've got a hunter hearing the roars or the howls. A guy that knows what he's listening to and knows what he's not listening to. 
how do you discredit all of these people? Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, Christopher's just, point. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The guy, Chris, doesn't have an axe to ground, yeah. uh, uh, an axe to grind, and uh, neither does the other fellow who's reporting what he's hearing rattling the windows on his house. Exactly. You know what does he gain? What What do you gain? You know, but, yeah, no doubt about it. Tough to see. Uh, tough to see a gain, especially from uh, somebody who's anonymous, too, right? I mean, like certainly. many of these are. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so Chris is writing books, and I'm going to look up his books. But people, nobody's getting rich around here. You know, <laughs> when I ask you to go out and buy a book to help support us, I'm not making millions over here uh, recording audio books on Bigfoot and whatnot. If anything, there's a ridiculous amount of money spent on my end uh, for studio time and time spent now doing the audio books that you have no idea so when I say something, I'm just basically asking you to help me out <laughs> so I can keep the ball rolling here. You know, uh, Kevin, Kevin will vouch for the fact that I'm not driving around in a, a, a C-class Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, that was great, Kev. Good stuff. Uh, and listen, uh, before I get going here with this account, I want to give a shout out to a friend of the podcast, Tracy. So, Tracy, if you're out there, big shout-out to you, and kudos for being a part of the show. And I say that because what I'm about to get in here, uh, get into here, was kind of at the behest of Tracy. Mm -hmm. My dear listeners, once again, little did you know when you tuned into this podcast today that you were about to enter a realm, a realm beyond all space and time. It is a place which you will never forget. <laughs> you are about to enter the Bigfoot Zone. <laughs> all right. If you were waiting for the next installment of the Bigfoot Zone... Here it comes. This account is going to blow your mind. And coming into this tale, I'm going to warn you that this may be the freakiest sighting that I have ever heard. And I ask you to follow along as Marion Lane and her brother Chris weave this amazing story. In July of 84... A group of about 20 people and the two of us had planned to head into the Shasta National Forest and hike up to Dead Falls Lake for a little overnighter with guitars and beers. If you've never been there, Mount Eddy Lake and Dead Falls Lake sit in what I would call a bowl surrounded by mountain peaks. There isn't much of a shoreline to speak of. Instead, the surrounding hills and trees abruptly meet the edge of the water. It's a fantastic and desolate spot, and it's a great destination for those who want to hike in and crash on a blanket once you can't stay awake any longer. We began the night's festivities, and it was turning out to be a pretty good evening. We had some campfire sing-alongs, some hot dogs, and quite a lot of beer. We first noticed the blue light at about 2 a.m. 
This light was emanating from thousands of feet up, glowing over one of the northern peaks. Considering that there isn't anything out here in this hour of the night, aside from people like us, it was a bizarre sight. Needless to say, it had all of our attention. Some of us sat and others stood as we watched the blue light grow in intensity. It seemed as though the unknown source of the light was about to come over the peak. About ten minutes later, there it was. It was miles away, but we could make out now a large glowing disk exuding what appeared to be a combination of extremely bright blue and white light. From a distance, it almost appeared like the disk was alive. I know this is really weird, but you will know why I mention it in a minute. If it hadn't had our attention before, it certainly had our attention now. It slowly made its way over the peak and was gradually making its way down into the valley in which we were gathered. As it began its descent, beams of light started to emanate from different sides of the object. They moved from one side to the other, flashing on and off as it appeared to be scouring the terrain. Some members of the group were already getting antsy and afraid, especially the girls, but there was nowhere to run and hide, especially since the searchlights were so bright. It was getting closer and closer to our position. We realized that whatever it was could certainly see our blazing fire, so some of us started to throw dirt on the flames and squirting them with beer. Others were filling empty bottles with water from the lake in order to extinguish it. It was difficult to gauge the distance and size of this object, but it was slowly coming towards the lake and the entire landscape was glowing beneath it. All of us could now see that the craft appeared to be organic. Now it was glowing with a yellowish-white color, but bright blue still swirled around its base, which appeared like pigment being mixed in a can of fresh paint. It was beyond my wildest imagination. Another ten minutes passed when half of the group said that they were getting the heck out of there, and the rest of us stayed. In movies, the people who run always get attacked, <laughs> and I wasn't planning to be one of them. Might be a smart move, huh, Kevin? <laughs> I don't know. You can make the argument that you want to run faster than those next to you. <laughs> now, this craft had now reached the other end of the lake, which was still a considerable distance away from us. By this time, I could now see that this disk was at least 200 feet across when all of a sudden it stopped and began to pulse, growing brighter and then dimmer like a heartbeat. All of the searchlights had stopped moving and a ring of fuzzy, multicolored lights started to circle its outer edge. They were red, green, and yellow, and weren't sharp beams like the searchlights. Our fire was completely out now, and we were standing in the pitch dark, totally awed by what we were seeing, as this thing hovered over this one spot for almost 20 minutes. Suddenly, a wide column of powder blue light flashed from its base to the ground below, 
as the craft continued to pulse. From our vantage point, it was little more than a speck, but there was something being drawn up from the ground within this tube of light. The thing stopped about midway between the ground and the craft, literally suspended in midair within the light. Everything stayed still for another 10 or 15 minutes. But then several other specks started to descend from the craft's base. These specks were much smaller than the first. Again, from the distance we were, were, there was no way of telling what any of these things were. The descending specks stopped in the middle of the tube right where the first thing was located. After a half an hour of stillness, all of the specks that had descended from the craft were drawn back upward and vanished from our sight. However, the other one remained suspended in the middle of the tube. Suddenly, the craft stopped pulsing and began to grow brightly again, illuminating the entire lake and the countryside below, and then it started to move. It glided slowly and silently over the lake, heading directly at us. Not a word was spoken among those who remained. We were awestruck and silent, staring in utter amazement. It was now only a football field away and coming closer, and I could now see that this was, in fact, a glowing structure. It was definitely a large disk but it had to be 400 feet wide, not the 200 I had originally thought. It was enormous. The shaft of blue light remained totally intact and unmoving as the ship itself moved now over the lake. The water started to grow choppy, just like it would on a windy day. However, it was only choppy within the confines of where the light contacted the lake surface. Everything around the perimeter was still calm. The light was drawing on and or disturbing the water as it passed over it. Now I could see beyond the shadow of a doubt that the speck that had been lifted up from the earth and into the tube of light was a gigantic Bigfoot. It looked like it was in a state of suspended animation, being held in the light some 75 feet off the lake surface. It didn't move an inch and was completely aglow in the soft blue light. Pretty freaky, heck? Unbelievable. Now, the saucer passed just to our east, and we all turned like automatons, watching it move away. Suddenly, there was a bright flash of light, and it was all over. The disk was completely gone. It had not flown away at a high rate of speed. It vanished. We stood in a daze for a few moments, almost as if we had been taken over by some type of mystic force while these events had unfolded. Seeing the Bigfoot motionless within the tube of light was unbelievable, to say the least. And what the connection was between it and the craft is still unknown to all of us. We simply saw what we saw. Freaky. Really freaky, man. Man, I I didn't know where you were going. You know, first off, like you're talking about looking up into the hills at the blue lights, and I'm thinking, 
whoa, this is like uh, an original Dracula thing. You know, they got the blue lights up in the woods around <laughs> Vlad the Impaler's castle in Romania. <laughs> and then uh, and then we got these giant, you know, UFOs. And I thought, like, uh, for a minute there, I thought maybe Bigfoot was going to sneak up behind him and bop him on the head while they were watching the UFO. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't Happy picture Halloween. him being lifted up in like the tractor beam. Wild, yeah, yeah, wild. Yeah, very bizarre. And to me, it was like you know, this craft had come down for a reason. Not that they were there; it was coming there. Yeah, and it was almost—it was almost like it was looking around. Yep, for a Bigfoot or its Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this was some type of created creature. Uh, this particular event where this thing was like owned by them or created by right, them. So not necessarily a natural uh, flesh and blood Bigfoot. Right. I mean, some yeah. type of being. Yeah. No, you know, it I mean, could it's, be. It's so, it's so far out there that, you know, what are you going to say? You know, I mean, it's, it's just a very bizarre uh, uh, encounter that happens to include the sighting of what was described as an enormous Bigfoot suspended in this soft blue column of light. Yeah, in the tractor beam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whew. well, that's that is that is crazy, and that happened in uh, you said Shasta National Forest, so that should be like Northern California. Yeah, Dead Falls Lake region. Okay, so uh, apparently these young people. Maybe it was a regular spot for them if they had the time and the energy to go up there and get lost for the night, you know? Yeah, it sounds sounds like a beautiful place, other yeah. than the 400-foot-wide uh, UFO and the Bigfoot <laughs> hanging in the beam of blue light. Other than that, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Perfect. Oh, man. Holy cow. And the fact that we're pouring all of our beers out to put the fire yeah, that's out. A I problem. mean, that, that kind of stinks. That's a big foul right there. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, it's Meisterbrow. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, we brought it to extinguish the fire. <laughs> Good old Meisterbrow. <laughs> not one of our sponsors today, apparently. Yeah, no. Meisterbrow is not a sponsor of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, nor are we affiliated with the brand. <laughs> Wow, that is that is amazing. Could you, I mean, could you imagine seeing some craft above you that you're estimating to be 400 feet across? Yeah, I mean that's it's a, it's a uh, what is that? That's a hundred feet more than a football field. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And if it's if it's a disc, which he said it was, you know, it, it's it's obviously when we look at a football field, we're looking at a rectangle, right? This thing was a 400-foot-in-diameter plate yeah, that's crazy. flying around in the sky. I mean, that is freaking nuts. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> wow, Kev. I'm so, not ready to see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is bizarre stuff. Whoa. Now, what do we got today from our listeners? Anything uh, groovy going yeah, on? Yeah, we got some good listener mail from all around, uh, as usual. So we'll start out uh, with Stanislaw. In Hungary, uh, one of one of the coolest uh, cities I've ever been to. Uh, they don't say Stanislaw doesn't say they're from Budapest, but I used to go to Budapest on a regular basis on business, and it's super cool, 
city there on the Danube River. Wow. And Stanislaw says, thanks for the great podcast and all the work that you do. How hmm. fast do you think a Bigfoot can run? Whoa. I assume Stanislaw means when he's not being lifted up into a uh, <laughs> UFO in a tractor beam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I'll tell you what. How fast can they run? I mean, we have accounts of them running down uh, elk and deer. So, you know, I, I go back to what I see the animals around my house doing. I mean, when the deer spring into action, I don't know how fast they're going. I mean, they got to be running like 30 miles an hour or something, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they can really get the giddy app going uh, and uh, take off when they're spooked. Yeah, and one thing that's consistent in all of the sightings, descriptions, even this trail cam photograph that we talked about today, is, you know, the they're so muscular and trim. And then, of course, you know, they're typically 8 or 10 feet tall, so they have quite a long stride as well. So, you know, yeah. even a fast walk, they're cruising. Yeah, and that's a good point, Kev, because a lot of people have said— uh, it appeared effortless the way the thing was walking, but then they realized when they went to the area where they saw it how far it had traveled and how quickly, apparently effortlessly walking along. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's just a gait of a walk, not a run. Exactly. I mean, they're yeah, giant, with giant creatures. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. These things can really boogie. Yeah, yeah. So that's from Stanislaw in Hungary. Thanks mm -hmm. for listening over in Hungary. Um, and then we're going to go to Linda in Bangor. I'm guessing it's Bangor, Maine, maybe. She doesn't specify. Um, and she says, I am a bus driver, and I saw a Bigfoot early one morning walking a tree line. Oh, oh that's pretty cool, Linda. We'd like to know more from you. Make sure Absolutely. you... Uh, you, uh, we got some more details. Maybe send in your phone number, and uh, Bill will give you a call. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, so she saw it walking in a tree line, and she says, Do you think they are more nocturnal? I thought it rather odd to see such a thing in daylight. Great show and great rapport between the two of you. Thanks so much, Linda. Wow. Cool. Well, you know, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Linda. That's fantastic. Uh, a couple of things come to mind right off the bat. Number one, uh, I had a bus driver, and it's in one of the accounts of my book, uh, one of my books, who was having a coffee before beginning the morning route, allowing the bus to uh, warm up next to some woods. And a Bigfoot came out and ra rocked the bus and slammed the back doors as she was trying to drive out of there. Whoa. Yeah, she actually lost her job. Uh, she told the truth about what happened, uh. and they pos they posthumously uh, showed her the door. Mm. That's not uh, good. No, no. But also, the majority of the sightings that uh, uh, I've got uh, on record are daytime. So I, I know people, maybe people think, some people think they're more nocturnal. Or maybe that's part of the spook aspect of going out with some of these groups to creep you out in the dark. Right. Uh, but a, a lot of the people are just seeing these these uh, boogers during the daytime. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know where that all comes from, but 
you know, uh, I have to say like six or seven out of ten are daytime sightings. Well, in, and also, Bill, ours. they're hard to see in the daytime. How, how the heck are you going to see them at night? I mean, unless they run across in front of your headlights crossing the road, which, you know, we've seen uh, we've seen accounts like that. But generally, if you're in a forest, I mean, you know, without infrared or something like that, how are you going to see a Bigfoot in the middle of the night? Be hard. <laughs> you're not. Yeah. You know, it's like Kev. If I wore, if I put on a pair of black Carhartt coveralls and a black uh, uh, a ski cap, are you going to see me walking around in the woods in Vermont at night? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I'm just going to disappear in there, and if I'm not making a lot of noise, you're you're not even going to know I'm walking next to you. Right. Right. Now, you're not suggesting that Bigfoots wear Carhartts, though. <laughs> well, they might. I mean, it's rugged outerwear. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's all about saving the fur, brother. It's all about saving the fur. There's nothing like a well-groomed Sasquatch. That's got chilly up there, too. You know. Hey. <laughs> you got. You told me Killington was the coldest place you've ever yeah, been. Those poor I mean, guys got to live there. Seems like a good idea all of a sudden. <laughs> All right, we're going to go out to the southwestern U.S. to maybe one of our uh, one of our listeners with the coolest name. Uh, this comes in from Blaze. Oh, like, yeah, Blaze in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, and Blaze says, "I would like to hear your take on the UFO phenomena." Well, that's a timely note. Wow. Um, he says, I have heard you speak of your own encounters, but you never expound upon it. Loving the Bigfoot and keep the ball rolling. You can do no wrong, Blaze. Wow, that's pretty cool, Kev. Very cool. Yeah, talk about uh, timing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we just got done doing the UFO encounter with the Bigfoot at Dead Falls Lake. And uh, he's talking about uh, uh, UFOs. Yeah, you know, maybe someday uh, I usually talk about UFOs in a kind of ad hoc way, uh, like I shared with my neighbor uh, Tom shared with me, the retired cop, about his sighting. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're unusual things and they're brief. Uh, descriptions really don't do them justice, but maybe one day I'll... Uh, uh, I'll pop in with one or two uh, and just talk about them for whatever it's worth in our other oddities segment. Uh, if we hook up and do something on uh, uh, some type of notable uh, recent UFO encounter, Kev, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, maybe if you just talk a little bit, though, because it has to do with the account that you described about your theories on, you know, kind of the flesh and blood, Bigfoot versus what I would call other which, you know, UFOs and Bigfoot kind of fit in the other. Kind of the the accounts of Bigfoot where folks see them moving along on the ground and then they go over and look, you know, even though they're walking through like a muddy area and there's no footprints at all. Right. Now, see, uh, I believe that the UFOs are a demonic entity, a demonic presence. Right. Uh, I don't believe they're inhabitants of some other planet out there in the solar systems. Uh, or another solar system, or that they can access us by traveling through space at, at rates uh, that we know nothing about. I think they're uh, 
they're close to us on a regular basis. Uh, we don't have the answers as to what they are and why they use these uh, seemingly uh, 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 technologically advanced crafts and all of this stuff. Uh, I do believe this is all part of the deception uh, put out there by Satan and his emissaries. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really deep, and we can talk about that for weeks. Uh and I can't really spend the time to get into that, you know. Yeah, no, no. I, I think we definitely have to come back to that, though, and maybe, uh, maybe we'll expound on it a little bit when we go through one of those accounts of the, uh, you know, kind of the non-flesh and blood. What we believe are the non-flesh and blood Bigfoots. Right, right. Yeah. Now yeah. it's all. It's a big malaise out there of the how and the why, and there's a lot of opinions, and I've got some of my own, obviously. Right. Uh, So I I just had somebody email us uh, who said he disagrees with me about uh, uh, some Bigfoot being demonic. Hmm. And look, you're, you're entitled to your opinion, you know. Uh, And, and I can go along with that, but that doesn't change the way I feel. Sure. So, I mean, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, well, everybody has their opinion. Sure. Cool, cool. Wow, well, that's right. incredible. Well, we're going to go to Italy next. Wow. Yeah, buongiorno. This is buongiorno. From, <laughs> this is from Tessa in Italy. Yeah. She says, I love you guys. Ciao, Bella. She didn't really say, <laughs> she didn't really say ciao, Bella. But, you know. <laughs> she said, how far back... Uh, to known sightings, or how how far back do known sightings of Bigfoot go? Really enjoying the cast. Oh. I assume she's not talking about the broke the the plaster cast on her broken arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Kev, wrestle with that one if you will. Yeah. How I far mean, back you? Th- well, we we talk about them going back. Um, Different accounts, I would say, probably back into the uh, uh, 17th century, right? You know, with the with the Native Americans, and uh, I, I seem to recall, you know, definitely we talked about in the podcast here a few weeks back a written account in like 1905 or something like that, and then you have the the uh, Bauman encounter, which they believe I think is around 1850. Right. So I, I'd say, you know, probably going back a couple of hundred years before that. Yeah. And you, look, if they were around then, they were around a long, long exactly. time before that. Exactly. So I think they've been around for probably thousands of years uh, over here and wherever else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I don't think these things just popped out of a pond. 300 years ago and started stomping around the planet, you know. Yeah, and if you look at, you know, if you subscribe at all to the uh, Gigantopithecus uh, theory, you know, of the giant uh, Asian ape coming across the uh, Bering Strait land bridge, you know, that's way, way back in time, you know, Ice Age time. I apologize ahead of time. I'm trying my best to think of the name of the bear that used to be here in North America. Hmm. The giant bear, Kev. Do you, uh, is anything ringing a bell to you when I say I giant? I know what you're thinking Gi- of, but. Uh... Yeah. 
Ah, oh. I hate when that happens because it's going right. to come to it's going to come to me when the show ends. <laughs> but look, these bears were on the planet and are now extinct. Yeah. For whatever reason. I mean, we are talking about a beast that I believe was about 14 to 16 feet tall. Uh, had huge head on it and mouth and claws uh, and uh, were believed to be attacking uh, the then people on the planet and different areas trying to kill them for food. I mean, can you imagine engaging in mortal combat with some type of monster like that? Mm. Now, this oh. are you talking about the, sh- they called it the short-faced bear? Yes, the yeah. short-faced bear. Thank you. Yeah, it's a weird name, right, for a giant bear. <laughs> well, because if you look at the drawings of it, uh, it did have like a, a kind of a pug snout on it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, uh, compared to some of the bears we see today, you yeah. know? Yeah. And the short-faced bear was a freaking monster. Uh, just, cool. uh, I mean... I could, uh, I could, I couldn't imagine trying to defend myself with a, a pointy stick or something with that thing advancing on you. Yeah, they they talk about it living back uh, like uh, most recently about eleven thousand years ago, right? So, which is not a long time. No, not not in uh, not in the uh, uh, history of uh, the Earth. And, uh, yeah. And our land. Cool. All yep. right. Well, let's uh, let's leave the short-faced bear. And uh, for our last letter, we're going to go to Mary in Michigan. And she Whoa. opens up her email in a very interesting way. Dogman, dogman, dogman. My state is going to the dogs. What have you heard, <laughs> if anything? Love, Mary. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> an awesome email, Mary. <laughs> and did you say Dogman? <laughs> Three uh, times. <laughs> kept that Dogman account we di- we did a while ago. Wasn't that in that area? Or was it Illinois? Absolutely no, in Michigan, Upper Peninsula. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So you know these things uh, keep showing up. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, when we have listeners to the show, all of our listeners should make it a point to try to be a little more outspoken with some of the people in your own realm, in your own cliques. Uh, you're going to catch a little ridicule for it and a little chiding by your friends. But um, if everybody made it a point to speak out a little book, uh, a little bit about uh, perhaps even saying, you know, I listen to this podcast, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. Oh, that's awesome. You might just by saying that open up a can of worms where somebody says, well, you know what? I saw something really cool one day or, or this and thus and so happened to me. Oh, yeah. That's well, we, how- we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, right, Bill, where one of the listeners wrote in and said, uh, I think it was his uncle saw your book on the end table. And uh, his uncle said, oh, yeah, I saw a Bigfoot, you know, back in like 1970 or something like that, as I recall. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, That slipped my mind, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Kind of putting it out there a little bit and see what comes of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you got to be willing to take a little ridicule and, you know, shrug it off, have a couple of yucks. 
but you never know what's going to come out of it. You may be on the cusp of uh, of uh, a great sighting, a great encounter, or some great evidence. Yeah, I got, I got, uh, I don't think you've seen it, Bill, but I have a license plate holder on the back of my truck that you know says Bigfoot. You know he's out there. Yeah, <laughs> and I've had a couple of people stop me, you know, when I, in a parking lot or whatever, and say, "Hey, tell me about, tell me about your uh, license plate holder." <laughs> I love that stuff, man. You know. <laughs> then I tell you just... them, "You want me to open up the bed cover and show you a bigfoot?" <laughs> <laughs> then they usually oh. run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then they run like hell across the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. Well, that's our last email for the week. So uh, good, uh, good show with uh, a couple of sightings up in northern Vermont and then out to the Shasta National Forest for definitely a freaky uh, UFO Bigfoot encounter. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Awesome stuff. And, uh, Remember, folks, uh, I'm working on these audio books. I just finished volume two, reviewing it. Uh, that should be up and loaded uh, uh, within like a three or four week period, I would hope. Uh, and the others I keep working on. And you know what? Until we meet again, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>